We're going to continue in prayer in our worship this morning. We're going to pray for something really important that's happening this week in the life of our church, and that is VBS. It's just this wide open opportunity to love and serve one another, and then to love and serve our local community. So let's bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer for VBS this week. I have five different ways that we can be praying for VBS. First, pray for involvement. Pray that kids will come and families will be impacted. I'll pray for the volunteers who will be leading and serving this week. For each child who's going to be at VBS for seeds to be planted in their lives of the gospel or harvested as they're ready to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And last, most importantly, that God would be glorified. Father, make that our desire in everything that we do to glorify you, to bring you pleasure in our service. And I pray that this week would just be a great week of, of serving you through serving these, these children. I pray, Lord, that you would give the volunteers help and energy as they serve. I pray that you would give um, the kids open hearts and open minds, and I pray, Lord, that it's not only a great experience for them, but it's an encounter with the living God for these children this week. And I pray also now as we open up our word, the word of God, I pray, Lord, that it would be an encounter with the living God as we hear the word of God preached. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. First thing I want to draw your attention to this handout you may have seen as you came in. On one side of it, it says the strength of a father's presence. And on the other side of it, there's a heading that says the father absence crisis in America. The proof is in the pudding as far as these statistics about how important it is for a child to have a father's presence. You see, there are many, many risk factors that a child avoids if they have a father present in their life. 
including emotional and behavioral problems, poor school performance, alcohol and substance abuse, criminal activity, and then on the other side, you see how these risk factors really go through the roof if a father isn't present in their lives. Four times greater risk of poverty, more likely to have those behavioral problems, more likely to commit a, a crime, more likely to face abuse and neglect, and many more. The statistic that sticks out to me the most on either one of these sides of the handout is the number 18.4 million. That is 18.4 million children, one in four in America, without a biological step or adoptive father in the home. So we truly do have a crisis of fatherhood in America today. And that's why I want to share with you a message about the importance of godly husbands and godly fathers, and more broadly, godly men. I believe most of the societal problems that we face, the root cause of those can be traced to a lack of godly men. You may have never realized this before, but the Bible actually places the responsibility for the first sin ever committed, not on Eve, but on Adam. Almost any time that I've asked a group of people who committed the first sin, they're going to say Eve committed the first sin. And while it is true that Adam and Eve sinned together, this isn't getting Eve off the hook by any means. It is also true that the Bible places ultimate responsibility for the first sin on Adam because Adam was Eve's husband. Adam was Eve's head. And the Bible places the responsibility for the care and the well-being and the leadership of the family on the husband or the father in the family. Romans 5 in the New Testament calls the first sin Adam's sin. I read there from Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sin. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is the type of the coming one. So you hear the words there, sin entered into creation through one man. Also says Adam's transgression. Eve may have been the first one to take the bite from the fruit that God told them not to, but Adam was with her. Adam was her husband, and as her head, the word head means source, a source of love, um, source of protection, source of care, source of pro provision, source of leadership. 
and Adam defaulted on all of those responsibilities that God had given him. It wasn't as if he were off somewhere while this was happen, happening. As we're about to learn, he was right there with his wife, just standing passively by while the snake seduced her. So let's examine what took place in the garden. It was the most terrible day in human history. If you have a Bible or Bible app handy, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to be reading down to verse 7. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom, so she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is God's holy word. Okay, to understand what we read, you need a little background information. This happened in the Garden of Eden. This was the first place where God had created and put human beings, man and woman. He had united them in marriage, Adam and Eve, and they were to live with him in the garden. There was no separation between God and and people. Um, there was no suffering. Um, everything that they could ever ask for, even think of, anything that they could desire was provided by God in the garden for his people. And most especially, he himself was in the garden with his people. God created us in his image to have a relationship with him, to, to glorify him, um, to depend on him for everything. And literally, Adam and Eve could walk with God in the garden. Again, there was no separation between God and people. They were one, and they were together. God also created it in Adam and Eve to constantly obey him, to constantly depend on him. He put two trees in the center of the garden. One tree was the tree of life, and the other tree was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God told Adam and Eve, you can have fruit from any tree in this garden, including the tree of life, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is off limits. I don't want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What was the reason for this? Because 
again, God wanted Adam and Eve to depend on him for their knowledge of what is right and what is good. Every time that they obeyed God by refraining from eating this tree, it was an expression of their dependence on him. He wanted them to be innocent of what was evil. He never wanted them to experience what disobedience was like, but he wanted them freely to continue to love him and depend on him and obey him. In other words, they were to depend on God for truth. They weren't ever made or designed to create their own truth, as people like to say it today. This was the only command that God gave them, and they were free. There was true freedom in the garden to, to love and obey God and, and enjoy God just as God had created them. And apparently, if they would continue to trust him in this way and continue to obey him and not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then they could stay with God in the garden forever. And this is what God had designed for people. But God also clearly warned them that if they did eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if they did step out and go their own way and disobey them, then surely on that day, then they would die. And as we've already read, we know that day happened. This unbroken closeness with God and intimacy with God would not last. An enemy invader had come into the garden. This was the serpent. This was, this was Satan taking the form of a serpent, uh, coming to Eve and, and whispering his lies to her. He, he quietly planted seeds of doubt in her mind. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? He was already implying that God's word could not be trusted. It was okay to question God's word, basically implying that what Eve had heard was somehow wrong from God. He didn't have their best interest in mind. Satan also lied to them about the consequences of disobeying God. He always lies to us when he tempts us about the consequences of obeying God. He says, no, surely you will not die it won't be that big of a deal. The consequences won't be that bad for disobeying God. And in fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Satan was trying to convince them that there's something that God isn't telling them. There's something that God is holding back. That God doesn't want them to have. God doesn't want them to be like him, even though they were already created in the image of God, like God. He was slyly telling them in just subtle ways, just worming his way in, that God could not be trusted. Trust me, Satan was saying. You can't trust your creator Satan was whispering. Unfortunately, his lies and his effort to tempt and deceive worked. 
The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom, so she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. They had stopped trusting in God to be their God, and they began to trust in themselves. They were trying to replace God, and they fell away from their God, and they immediately felt the consequences of spiritual death in the form of shame and guilt. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. For the first time, they know they knew what it was to do what was wrong by experience and to be separated from their creator, God. And before we move on, I want to point out to you, while all this was going on, Adam was right there next to Eve. He wasn't off somewhere in the field. He wasn't at work. He was right there next to his wife. Verse 6, so she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. He wasn't, she wasn't alone. He wasn't off somewhere while the snake tempted Eve. Adam was standing right there the whole time, and he was just standing passively by, watching, being a coward, not stepping in, not stepping up, completely failing to love and protect his wife like God had called him to do, allowing this snake to tempt her and to lead her away into what was wrong. And this ever since has been the tendency of all men, of passiveness, of refusing to take hold of the mantle of leadership that God has created us for, of refusing to be the spiritual leaders in our home that God has made us to be. As husbands and as fathers, God's given us this extraordinary responsibility of care, of leadership and protection of our families. And we can make the biggest of differences for the good if we will play the role that God has called us to play for our wife and our children. But if we punt our responsibilities down the field and fail like Adam to take up this mantle of spiritual leadership, the consequences are devastating and not just earthly consequences, though we see this, these consequences, we've already seen them on the handout and there are, there are many more as you look through the lens of, of Scripture of, of spiritual and eternal consequences for ourselves, for our families, and for others, for society in general, all because husbands and fathers will not pick up the mantle, and men in general will not pick up the mantle of leadership and responsibility and example setting that God has called us to do. And let's face it, men, 
In different ways and at different times, we have all failed. We have sinned continually. We've acted more like Adam, our first father, than we have Christ, our Redeemer. But there is one great hope that through Christ and what he accomplished for us on the cross, though we have failed and sinned miserably through Christ, the second Adam, we can become new. We can become restored godly men, transformed by the grace of God and ready to do what God has called us to do. So Jesus Christ offers all of us a rescue, but not just rescue from the penalty of sin, but also restoration from the problem and the power of sin in our life so that whether men or women, we can start to become like Christ through faith in him. Our lives can become changed and we can be conformed to the image of Christ, the second Adam. Adam failed his wife. He just stood there idly by passively while the serpent did his thing and deceived her and led her astray. And then he himself was deceived. And they both took the bite from the forbidden fruit. I wish, you, I wish that I could this morning paint a pretty picture of this first marriage and this first family, but I can't. And this is where we have come from. Romans chapter 5, as I read earlier, tells us that, that when I, Adam sinned, all sinned. Through one man came sin and death through sin. In this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. This is our spiritual inheritance from our first father. It's sin and it's condemnation and it's death. I wish I could paint a prettier picture of our where we come from, from Adam and Eve, the, the first marriage and the first family, but I can't. But I will paint you a picture of a better relationship. You see, all of us, just like Adam and Eve, have been led astray by that same serpent. And we have took the bait. We've bit off that forbidden fruit, just like Adam and Eve did. We've all worshipped other, other things than God. God created us for his glory, to seek him, to depend on him. But all of us have sought our own glory. We've relied on our own strength. We've worshipped idols, God replacements, substitute saviors instead of worshiping the God of infinite glory and worth. And it's not like we've done this just once or twice. No, we do this daily again and again. And the Bible calls this sin and the Bible calls this disobedience. It creates a wall of
just the right time God sent his son on a divine rescue mission to allow all of us to see the glory of God in our lives again if we will receive it, if we will receive the gift that God offers us through his son, Jesus Christ. And the question becomes, have you? Have you been rescued from your sin and talking to everyone? Have you ever received the gift God offers you through always depending on his father, always obeying all the commandments of God, which qualified him to die on a cross, to die on a tree. There's no, there, there's something incredible about, there's no coincidence that the first sin happened by them taking the fruit from the tree that they weren't supposed to, and that our Savior was lifted up on a tree, bearing the consequences of taking that fruit from the tree. He bled and he died and he suffered. The cross was an instrument of death. But for those who have trusted in Christ, it has become a tree of life where he shed his precious blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And then three days later, he, he conquered the grave. He rose victoriously from the grave and he lives today. And this is why I tell you, we can be rescued. You can be rescued from the penalty of your sin. Your sin can be washed away. You can be as white as snow through faith in Jesus Christ. It means you personally turn from your sin. Say, God, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. And you turn to Christ and you ask him for his forgiveness. I believe in what you did for me. And now from now on, even though I won't ever be perfect this side of heaven, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to give my life over to you. Will you please save me? And if you're willing to receive the gift of God like that, he will save you. He will rescue you from your sins. Are you willing to do that today if you haven't yet? But it's not just rescue God wants in our lives, all of us, it's restoration. God is not satisfied until the work of holiness is complete. The big ultimate purpose that God has in anyone's life who is his child is conformity to Christ. It's become progressively more like Jesus in the way that you think and the way that you feel and what you desire what what you choose and how you act every day working through the Holy Spirit 
in your heart to make you more like the image of his son. You see, because of sin, we are created in the image of God with worth and value, but we're, we're broken images. And through Jesus Christ, God puts this image back together so that we begin to look like him again, what he was created, what we were created for, to glorify him. So going back to the challenge that we have before us for men, in the end, our, our wives and our, our kids, they don't just need good guys. They don't just need decent guys or nice guys. We all need something more. Our world needs something more. We need godly men. We need men full of the Holy Spirit. We need men surrendered to Jesus Christ. Men who are walking with their Lord and love him above anyone or anything else, including their families. We need spiritual men who, who love the word of God and, and know the word of God and want to obey the word of God. We need men who have a passion for, for holiness and, and purity and, and want to grow in it daily. We need men, quite simply, who are followers of Jesus Christ, who are disciples and want to make disciples starting with their families. Are you this kind of man? Do you desire to be this type of man? If you aren't, you can be by the grace of God because rescue is available and restoration is available. Change is possible through Jesus. God can remake you and transform you through the grace that can only be found through Jesus Christ. Take hold of him today and trust in what he's done for you. Follow him. Surrender to him or resurrender your life to him. Don't listen to the voice of the serpent who may be whispering to you now, trying to tell you the lie that Jesus doesn't matter. All this doesn't really matter. And instead believe God that Jesus is all that matters and will ever be all that matters for any one of us. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, thank you for your grace that restoration, rescue and restoration is possible. And I pray for someone here that may need that rescue. I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day of turning to Christ and trusting in him and what he has accomplished. And I pray for us all that restoration would happen in our lives, that we would be different because of our, our faith in Jesus Christ, that people would be able to see Jesus in us 
people would be able to see us walking with God in the way that we, we treat others. Lord, I pray for husbands, fathers, men here today, boys. I pray, Lord God, that you would make us godly men. Help us not just to be good guys by our world standards or nice guys. Help us to be godly men, men who are strong in the faith and who love the word of God. Help us to step out in obedience to do whatever you're asking us to do today. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Will you stand with us this morning? Will you worship? Will you respond to however God's leading you today?